Amen, right on. How many of you in here would say you, you, you hear voices in your head? <laughs> Nobody wants to put their hand up. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I'm here to tell you it's okay. It's okay that you hear voices in your head. Not officially and medically, but I'm just saying. I'm saying that the scripture tells us, and it's what we're going to deal with over the next couple of weeks. Scripture tells us that we actually have an accuser. Like the, there's an accuser of the brethren. There's somebody who comes to scheme against you. And I know we have a lot of visitors here today and you're thinking, what in the world kind of church does my family go to? <laughs> but we're going to get into this here in just a second. But, but I believe that we do have an accuser. We do have uh, somebody who schemes against us. And my hope is that by the time we're done with this series, we are a church, and if we aren't already, but I'm hoping that we are, a church that says, hey, some of these bullies, some of these things that are trying to come at us in our head and in our culture, I hope by the time we're done with this series, we've found a way to stand up to these things. Say, so, hey, these things don't belong in my head. These things don't belong in my life. They don't belong in my uh, house space. It's time to stand up to some of these bullies. Are you with me? Uh, I'll give you the context here of what I'm talking about. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Verse nine before that says that this enemy, this devil is the deceiver of the world the deceiver of the world. And I see a deceiver. I see a liar. I see an accuser trying to do great work, not only uh, against the people of God, but against a time and an hour in which we live. The scripture says that in the last days, there's going to be seducing spirits, evil spirits. There's going to be things going on that are going to try to lie to and take out and manipulate and deceive people all over the world. We see it in ways of anxiety and, and rejection and the damages of that and the dysfunction of things that these bullies that are getting in people's heads and they're doing great damage. And so for the next couple of weeks, I want to take the time and say, hi, how do we stand up to these bullies? Specifically next week, I'm going to talk on anxiety. Uh, I just read us. I was actually listening to a, a little class that you could join. One out of every five teenagers currently, gen, mostly Gen Z, but if teenagers... Uh, in our current world, one out of every five say that they have faced and or are facing debilitating or detrimental levels of anxiety. It's a huge, huge bully in our teenagers. It's a huge, huge bully in adult life as well. But I believe that God has a solution to that. Can I get an amen today? So next week, if you know somebody who's dealing with anxiousness and anxiety, please get them here to the church. I believe that God's going to set some people free. Amen. So here's the first thing we need to know. We're talking about bullies in our head and we're talking about the accuser. And I think if, again, you're a visitor and you're here and you're going, like, what kind of church is this? I think we have to first settle on one thing. And it's this idea and it's this truth that there is such a thing as a spiritual realm. We need to understand there's a spiritual realm. I'm going to read you a passage here from Paul in just a minute, but I believe there's a spiritual realm. So much so that I could put articles up here. I could take news articles from just this week alone. And I could read you some of the horrendous news articles and we would look at that and we wouldn't say, oh, that's just somebody who made bad choices. That's somebody with maybe some bad morals. We would look at that and we would say that is evil. There's a difference between some bad choices being made and some things that are straight up evil. I think at our heart and at our core, all of us would believe and agree that there is such a thing as evil forces. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. He says, finally. 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, because we got to stand up to these things. It's not just hope, skip, and a wish that this stuff is going to eventually one day go away. These bullies are things that we got to stand up to. It says you got to take your stand against the devil's schemes. One scripture tells us that Judas made a terrible decision to co-labor with evil. And the scripture says that at the Last Supper, Judas betrays Jesus. He sells out Jesus. But one interesting little passage in there, I don't have time to get a lot into, but it says this. It says that the devil put in the heart of Judas, this idea to do this thing. It says that the devil put in the heart of Judas to sell out Jesus. What I'm trying to say is he schemes against us. He puts things in our heads that get into our heart. There's these schemes that go against the people of God. And so uh, Paul's saying, you got to stand against this. Verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people in political parties and ideology. It's not against that. It says it's against authorities. It's against powers of this dark world. It's against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. There's an enemy who hates you. The scripture says that the design and the intent of our enemy is to be a person who steals, kills, and destroys. Satan, the devil, our accuser, uh, his design is not to say, hey, I just want to rattle them a little bit. Uh, I just want to get in their head and mess with them. No, the design is to steal, kill, and destroy everything from your life. He wants to see you in ruin because he knows that you're God's creation. And God, as we just saying, has good plans for you, has good purposes for you. So since we know that there's an enemy who, ki- who kills, steals, and destroys from us, I think that ought to require some sort of response from us. If I came to you and said, you have an absolutely unbelievable, historic, this enemy who's after you has ruined so many lives, has done so much destruction, has ruined so many generations, and I just got intelligence that this enemy has targeted you and is after you, how many of you know you would respond? If you knew someone was out to steal, kill, and destroy from you, I imagine in your life you would probably do some things and learn some things and go get some information about how to secure your life. You'd probably put security on your home. You'd probably lock stuff up even more. You'd probably have cameras. You would do some things to take a stand. So if you're in this room today and you hear that there is a spiritual force enemy that's out to steal, kill, and destroy from you, I hope that we do the same thing. We find a way to take a stand. And I'm grateful that we have God's word that tells us how we can take a stand against the scheme of the enemies. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says that my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. What, what, what happened here? People didn't have the knowledge to respond, to stand up to the enemy. They didn't know. Now we know about all the new Netflix shows that came out. We know about all the new Paramount Plus thing. We know all these other things going on on earth. But I hope that we don't get to a time in our life where we were destroyed because we didn't know what it takes to stand spiritually. Are you with me today? Paul, who wrote one third of the New Testament, he gives us this warning. He wrote one third of the entire New Testament. He's seen and knows and experienced all these things. He has interactions with churches and Christ people all over the, the, the territory of where he is. And, and he gives us this warning of you've got to learn to stand against these spiritual schemes. But I also grew up in church and a lot of people play, blamed their bad lifestyle, their poor decisions on the devil. The devil was behind every bush. Well, the devil made me. Oh, the devil's after me again. I'm broke as a joke, and it's the devil. He's after me again. That's probably your 16 Starbucks a month you drink. That's probably why you're broke. 
Well, the devil is after me again. He's getting me in my, my chaotic life and my relationship is so toxic. And, does it, and the devil's doing it. No, the devil didn't do that. You decided to get back in that toxic relationship that God once freed you from. Oh, my kids, they don't want nothing to do with God. And the devil's just trying to take them away. And they don't want to, ah, it's probably not the devil. It's probably that you didn't make a church priority when you were raising your kids. Oops, I meant to say that in second service. <laughs> Something spiritual is going on. And the devil is after us, but it's not always the devil. A lot of times it is our decisions and our structures and the, and the fruits of the spirit that God's called us to walk in. We've got to have those things in our life. But many times... The things and the battles that we're facing, they're spiritual. It's that heavenly realm. Let's be honest. It shouldn't be that hard to pray, right? Why is it so hard to pray? Why is it that prayer is your best sleep aid? Well, I need a good night's sleep tonight. I got to fall asleep right away. I got an idea. Let's just pray. That'll put me right to sleep. And, and I know I'm kidding. Okay. But, but why, why is it? Some of you are like, pastor. But why is it that every time we go to pray, we're so easily distracted. Why is it that every time we try to press in and pray and pursue God and contend and intercede for people, why is that such a hard task? Well, maybe because the minute the enemy, the spiritual realm begins to see you go after God and begin to pray his word because God says, I watch over my word to perform it. Maybe the minute you start doing that, the enemy goes, wait a minute, all hands on deck. We got to get over there and stop that. It shouldn't be that hard to give and be generous and tithe, and sow into missions, and do the things that God calls us to do. I mean, reality is we all probably have extra, right? We go to a movie, and we give extra, and we do it. Why is it so hard to be? Because there is a spiritual force that's trying to get you to live in resources that you have. You're in fear, and you need to hold, and you're saying inflation, and you're seeing all the rate, and so you're saying, oh, I need it. It shouldn't be that hard to give, but all of a sudden, when, when, when we get generous, and we decide to give, am I telling the truth today? Yeah. Shouldn't be that hard to worship, right? We'll come into a place like this, gather with our brothers and sisters. It's our time to adore our God and sing and worship and, 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 and tell him how good he is and sing of his goodness. But all of a sudden you get in here and you start thinking about, oh, the week I'm going to have and the morning that you had and the stuff you have to do later today. And all of a sudden that time goes by and we didn't give any exaltation to our God. Shouldn't be that hard. Well, why is it hard? Because the enemy knows, the schemer, the accuser knows that God's word says that he inhabits, God inhabits the praises. He becomes a part of the praises of his people. So of course it becomes hard. Fasting, God, so many promises to when we fast. It shouldn't be that hard for three days, 10 days, 21 days, whatever God's called you to go on a fast. It's just a little bit of time that you push away some of the Snickers bars. Why is it so hard? Because it's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. Can I get an amen today? So I got three points for you real quick. Before we talk about the bullies that are bullying us, anxiety, and some of these other things, we first have to understand how to handle it in the spiritual realm. Point number one is this. Spiritual attack must be expected. Spiritual attack must be expected. You can say, well, no, spiritual attack, that's for the pastor and those weirdos who sing weird in worship and get weird. That, that's all for those weirdo spiritual people. No, spiritual attack must be expected for everybody. Why? Because everybody has value to God. The enemy only hunts what has value. You've heard me give this example before. I know hunting season is coming up. And do you know that you've never heard in your life today anybody go like, you know what's coming up? Roadkill season. I'm telling I'm getting up early. I've had my eye on a rotting carcass over there on the side of that. I can't wait to drag that thing home and put some pictures on Facebook of that. You don't hunt what has no value. 
You only hunt what has value. So if the enemy's after you, if there's spiritual warfare over your life right now, can I tell you something? It's because you have great value. Can I tell you something? If you've been through something traumatic and you say, but pastor, you don't understand. My life's been hard. I've had these heavy things. I've had these big things. Why did this happen to me? I'm sorry that those things happened to you and God didn't do those things to you. But can I tell you, that's a great indicator that God has amazing plans for you. And you shouldn't let what happened to you hold you back from what God wants to bring you into. Are you with me today? So it happens all the time. You know, something, something significant is coming up in our life or in the church. Maybe Easter. Every time Easter comes around as a church, that's a big, big Sunday. And, and so all of a sudden, chaos happens all over the place. Cody told you. Uh, just a minute ago, we're getting ready to sing that song. And um, while they're up here leading worship and doing their rehearsal, the fire alarm went off in this building. Fire trucks, everybody's coming here and smashing out windows and kicking me in the window and all, all this stuff's going on. For like 40 minutes, they're trying to get ready to do this stuff. And wh- why? Because it's spiritual warfare. It's an attack. It's like just distraction. Maybe for you, you said, this is the year, start of the year. We're going to be committed to church and we're going we're gonna to have a plan with our kids and we're going to speak into them. And all of a sudden, it's been the hardest year of your life. Why? Because spiritual warfare, because the enemy wants to hunt what has value. We saw it in Jesus' life. We know that he's got an amazing three and a half years of ministry. He's doing miracles, signs, wonders, all of this stuff verified. Go back in history and look. You'll see that there's still accounts of all of these miracles that Jesus did. He's doing all these amazing things. But when he gets to that point, that that purposeful point, the, the cross part of it, where it's time for him to go to the cross and die for our sins so that we might have salvation. Scripture says that he's in the garden and he's under such spiritual attack and spiritual warfare that he wasn't just sweating in intense anguish. He was sweating so much that he was sweating blood. Sweating blood before he goes to be crucified because there was such intense spiritual battle. I believe this. Many times the level of our attack just exposes the level of your ability. Think about it this way. When Goliath showed up, why did Goliath show up there? Remember, he shows up and he says, I'm here to defy, to come against, to destroy the armies of God. I'm here to end this. I'm here to eradicate the, you know, they didn't call it this, but Christianity and the move of God. This is what I showed up to do. So the Goliath shows up. But then what did God have? A shepherd boy. Had a shepherd boy. Because the level of the attack always exposes the level of God's ability. Oh, cool, Goliath. But don't worry, God's got a shepherd boy. One out of every five teenagers might be crippled with anxiety right now. There might be many, many, many Goliaths showing up in this world. But guess what? God's still got a shepherd boy generation that's going to show up in the face of the one who's trying to defy and say, hold on just a second. I got some experience here. Are you with me? I was, um, I was mowing the lawn the other day and, uh, it's a, it's a zero turn. It's got like the things that you move like this. Right. And, uh, and I take my yard pretty seriously. Okay. And, uh, and my front yard has a hill. And so I have a stage five clinger daughter. Uh, she's five years old. She wants to be with me literally everywhere. Uh, so much so I was trying to watch the game yesterday, the Michigan game for a little bit. And she, I sent some people the video. She was cheerleading for it, but it had to be right in front of my chair. Because when she wasn't cheering, she was sitting on my lap. And can't go anywhere without her. And so I'm mowing. And I like to worship. I like to have worship playlists on because I like nature. And I like to be grateful for the home that God's given me. And I just like that time while I'm out there. And so I'm worshiping. 
But we have a rule with her uh, that she can't ride on the zero turn with me when I'm doing the front yard because it's a, it's a big hill and that's dangerous and sketchy. Some of you are like, it's always dangerous and sketchy. <laughs> I know, but more so on the hill. And so she's out there, right? She's out there and I can tell she wants to ride the mower. And so she's in the driveway, like shuffling her feet and just waving at me. <laughs> but she knows, she knows she can't ride when dad's in the front yard because it's dangerous and it'll mess up my lines. When you're on my lap, I can't do good lines. <laughs> and so she's like this. And I'm like low key annoyed for like a second. I'm like, you're going to try to get on this thing. And like, oh. And so I'm just like, oh, can I ignore her? Like, oh, geez, I don't want to do this, but I know you really want me to do this. And God's like, you know, she's only five once and, you know, your lines don't matter. <laughs> They're not that good anyway. You know, like, and so I'm like, fine, you know. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at her and I'm like, I'm, I'm so blessed that I have her. She's amazing. You know, she, but at the same time in these few passes, I'm also thinking about her life. And I told somebody at breakfast this week too, I, if I'm being honest with you, have fear for the world that my kids are going to live in. I do get caught up in the world that, that we're leaving for our kids and, and, and some of the things that are coming into culture in our schools. And so it's like, oh, geez. And so, and so anyway, of course, God wins. And he's like, he's like, you can, you know, go get her tough. She can sit on your lap. And so don't drive by my house. My lines are terrible. And so <laughs> put her on my lap. But I was actually listening to that song we just sang, Good Plants good plans. And I just want to say it again. I know I just said it this way, but I got her on my lap. I'm worshiping this song over her and I'm speaking these words that we just sang over her that in the valley, he's with us. I don't care what kind of Goliaths are presenting themselves in the culture that we live in. God is raising up a shepherd generation that can take them out. And so I'm just speaking over her and speaking over and speaking over her because this is what I believe. This generation is so pressed right now because it has such great ability. I believe this is an end time generation that's gonna do great work for the kingdom, are you with me? Uh, I saw, you see it in sports all the time, they, before the game comes on, they say, hey, what's the keys to winning today's game? And they say, well, it's really important that you find the most valuable player and you make sure you take them out in the game. They scheme against the most valuable. Why do you think the enemy schemes so hard against you, the children of God? Because you're valuable to the kingdom. The devil is threatened by your potential. Point number two is this. Spiritual attack must be exposed. This is where I think Christians miss it all the time. They just run around telling each other, oh, the devil's after me. The devil's after me. The devil's after me. Well, what are you doing about it? Are you getting people in your life that can help you through it? Are you going to some classes and some small groups? Are you going to the women's study and dudes and donuts? Are you making sure you've scheduled in worship time and prayer time and got a good, if you know the enemy's after you, let's expose it. Let's do something about it. Think about how many things in your life you, you identify as an issue, but then you just say, meh. No, when you identify something as an issue, what do you do? You work to solve it. It's got to be the same thing in our spiritual attack. We have to say, hey, this is happening here and I need to do something about it. Jesus, the scripture says, he's talking to the disciples, specifically Peter uh, is there listening. And he says, hey, guys, my time and my hour has come. I'm about to be crucified. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. My time and hours here. I'm going to be going to the cross. And Peter, <laughs> Peter pipes up, big, bold Peter. And he says, not on my watch. You're not going to the cross on my watch. If I got anything, I won't let them crucify you. And Jesus says back to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
he exposed, he, he wasn't mad at Peter. He didn't say Peter. He said the spiritual thing that's actually happening behind the thing is what I'm here to expose. We're going to love all people. Can I get an amen? But we're going to expose what's spiritually going on behind the thing. We got to be a people who said, I'm going to love the harvest. I'm going to love the people. I'm going to love all the things that I see going on, but I'm going to handle the spiritual thing that's actually happening behind the scenes. Are you with me? It's like when my wife is at home and it's like dinner time and I'm like, Hey babe, you know, like, what do you think? I'm thinking we should order some pizza tonight and like call up some strombolis and run up there to that Borkula express and get some of that good pizza. And she's like, well, um, actually I made salads and I'm like, Satan. <laughs> but there are signs. There are signs to the work of the enemy. You can tell the work of the enemy in your life. If God is the Prince of Peace and your life is lacking peace, it's time to expose the accuser of the brethren and the schemes that he's trying to put in your life. If anxiety and fear and the fruit of the enemy and the things that are not of God, if those are active, it's time to say, well, hold on just a second. God promises he's the Prince of Peace. I have the Prince of Peace on the inside of me. If I'm a, if I'm a believer, I ought to see the, the, the result of peace in my life. It's time to expose that. Uh, if, if for some reason in you, you've just found yourself in a season of life where you're just ready to quit. You just want to throw in the towel on everything. You're just so frustrated and stuck and you, you don't want to push forward in the things of God. That, that, that is an obvious sign that the accuser of the brethren is trying to take you off what God has for you. Faithfulness is a character of God. The scripture says without faith and believing in him and believing that his plans are good for you, it's impossible to please God. He begins to speak to you things like, oh, your serving's not making a difference. You should just quit. No, the scripture says we keep our hand to the plow and we don't look back. Are you with me? And so faithfulness, we, this desire to quit, we say this is, this is a scheme of the enemy that I, need, that I need to expose. Many times the enemy works in extreme confusion. I mean, you know, he's a deceiver. The scripture says he is our deceiver. So he's come to bring confusion into your life. Why do you think the word identity? I'm confused about my identity right now. Right. What is that? That is the fruit. That is, the, that is a sign of the accuser of the brethren. Right. A big thing right now that we see all across secular universities is they're working hard to speak against the truth, the absolute truth of the Bible. Oh, the Bible, that's just a bunch of stories. There's no, you can't believe any of that stuff. That's just a bunch of fairy tales. And so the enemy is, uh, what, trying to seed confusion in a generation. It's the same attempt that he did in the garden. Has God really said, are you with me today? Yeah. So you got to expose that when there's extreme confusion in your life, you need to expose God. Why am I feeling so confused and, 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 and all that kind of stuff? If you're over 75, it's not the enemy. It's just your <laughs> bad pizza, bad pizza. My mother had a birthday yesterday. I'm not going to say it. I shouldn't say it. But my kids said some pretty funny things. About but that's one, that's one in this hour. You say, God, I, I believe you've given me sound mind. How I many you know the Bible says sound mind? You can have sound mind. And so you need to expose the work of the enemy. Another one is temptation. He works. Spiritual attack attacks you in the realm of temptation. How I many you know Jesus was in the desert? He's in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days before he steps into ministry. And the scripture says that the enemy comes right in and begins to what? Tempt him food and water. Hey, would you like me to turn this into this? Wouldn't it be good if you had this? 
instead of having this, wouldn't it be better if you have this? And it went against the values of, of God and Jesus and his ministry. Right. Same thing happens to us. The tempter comes in and says, ha, look at this new position at work. You should really take this position. This would be, wouldn't this be better for you if you had this? Except for it takes you away from church and it takes you away from your church community and it takes you away from your home and all of a sudden you're busy and you're not around your kids. And what you thought was a good thing, you just found out to be a temptation that you fell for from the enemy. I think another temptation we fall into is the olden days. Oh, I just, I'm tempted by the olden days. I just wish we had it the way that it was. And you're never progressing forward in what God has for you because you're so busy looking at the old things. I mean, the scripture says, I forget the things of the old days and I lay hold of what God has new. God has so much for you now. And the glory days were glory days, but you got to remember those are former days. Are you with me today? And he tempts you. You know what? It would be better. It would be better for your wife and your kids. And it would be better for you if you guys just called this marriage quit. Let them move on with their lives. Just do the divorce. You guys can go your own way. Just get it over with now and everybody will be better off. He tempts you with things like that. And when you have temptations like that in your life, you must expose the work of the enemy. Are you with me today? Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says it this way. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of life. Masquerades here means what? He disguises himself. That's what he does when he manipulates in all of these different ways. He's disguising himself to get you pulling away from church, pulling away from healthy relationships, pulling away from the person that you want to be. We also see a very big disguise in our culture that we live in right now. He's the deceiver. He's the disguiser. He's masquerading. uh, He's hiding agendas in words that are good. Political words that should be good things. He's hiding. I believe this, that not everything that looks good is good. Not everything that looks good is good. We got to make sure we don't get deceived. Uh, There's very amazing words that are God kind of words. But if they don't have kingdom values in them, then they're deceptions. Inclusiveness is a great God word. I believe we should be inclusive. I believe we should be accepting and including. But if the kingdom values aren't there for the thing that we're being inclusive about, then we're being deceived. I believe that we as a church should be affirming and encouraging and supporting and and holding people. But if the kingdom values aren't there on that thing that we're affirming, then we're being deceived. I believe that God's design, and it was God's idea for us to have diversity. As a matter of fact, God says that his wish for earth is that on, on, on the earth as in heaven. Can I tell you something? That heaven's going to be a real diverse place. And I can't wait to be a part of that. Can I get an amen today? And so I believe that the church should be diverse and our lives should be diverse and we should celebrate diversity. But if kingdom values aren't, aren't in what we're talking about when we talk about uh, encouraging diversity, are you with me today? Then, then we, we could possibly be deceived. I believe and I support and I stand for women. Can I get an amen today? I believe in in women's rights and their ability to to be who God's called them to be. I'm kind of a rebel here, actually, in Zealand, in the little reformed area, that I believe it's all right for women to get up and preach. Can I get an amen today? I believe that if the first person who saw Jesus's resurrection was a woman and the angel said to the woman, hey, why don't you go preach about that? Go tell some people about that. Then I'm actually okay if women preach about it now, ladies. But 
if the kingdom values aren't a part of some of the women's rights that we're trying to be a part of, then we could be deceived. Are you with me today? We have to make sure we know God's truth and stand in the things that God's called us to stand in so that we're not deceived. And then lastly, I'll close in this. The scripture says this, or, or point three is this, spiritual attack must be fought in his mighty power. In his mighty power. Verse 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. When the scripture says be strong, it says like, you can do it, be strong. It's like a, you can do it. It isn't like when somebody, and we all hate this, it isn't like when somebody says to you, like, get over it or do better. <laughs> this really harsh, like, uh, no, it's like, hey, you can be strong. Like, you can do this. You can be strong in God's mighty power. Uh, most of the time God says, be strong. He also couples it with this promise that he's with you. Yeah. Hey, be strong because I'm with you. You can do this. You can be strong because I'm with you. We know he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Why? Because God is with you. The prophet Habakkuk, 600 years before Jesus. It's not like all of a sudden some catchphrase came out when Jesus was around of like, be strong. God is with you. Be strong. God is with you. This is all the way before Jesus time. Habakkuk three. We know that uh, he says that the sovereign Lord, 600 years before Jesus, he says the sovereign Lord is my strength. Sovereign Lord is my strength. Isaiah 35, 4 says this, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, He will come to save you. Strong in the Lord isn't God giving you strength. Strong in the Lord is God becoming your strength. Being your place of strength. Being so rooted in God. That's why people can be going through tragedy and still come here and worship and talk about the goodness of God because they're rooted in his strength. That's why people who can come here and they're in suffering, they're, they're literally worshiping while their body has cancer. They're literally worshiping while they're suffering the loss of maybe a miscarriage. They're in here and they're worshiping while they're waiting on a promise, but they can do it, but they can do it because they're doing it in his strength. Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, my heart and my portion forever. First Samuel 30 talks about how David was greatly distressed. Everyone was out to kill him. And it didn't say he gathered up enough guys. He got enough weapons. The thing that he said that he did was he strengthened himself in the Lord. If we want to see victory in this spiritual warfare. We've got to be a people who know how to tap into the strength of God. Paul knew how. That's why he said, I boast in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, he is strong. I need this strength from God if I'm going to make it in spiritual warfare. <laughs> if I'm going to break that addiction, if I'm going to stand up to the things I need to stand up to in this culture, I'm only going to be able to do it if I'm standing on his strength. And that's why Corinthians says it this way, first, or 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not things of this world, but they're mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds of this nonsense in this hour that we live. His might, his power, his things are going to be what breaks chains and strongholds. That's how we win in spiritual warfare. Are you with me? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you've given us the ability to stand up to the bullies, to the things that are speaking and threatening and accusing us and scheming against us. But God, I thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. We get to do it in your great power. 
God, I pray that you just equip us with that truth. You, you, you send us out of here knowing that you're the mighty one who we can depend on and count on and that our strength is found in you. Help us like David to be a people who strengthen ourselves in you. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.